Hey, Prime members, you can listen to Generation Y ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the app today. You know that's the sound of another sale on your online Shopify store. But did you know Shopify powers selling in person too? That's right. Shopify is the sound of selling everywhere, online, in-store, and social media, and beyond. Shopify POS is your command center for your retail store, for accepting payments to manage inventory. It has everything you need to sell in person. With Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into one true source. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash gen y, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash gen y to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash gen y. Take a moment to get a word from our sponsor, Audible. Audible offers an incredible selection of audiobooks across every genre. You got bestsellers, new releases, and mysteries and thrillers. I'm currently listening to A Rip in Heaven by Janine Cummings. It's a true story that happened in April 1991 about some teenagers, family members that were violently attacked. Two would perish, and the one surviving one would end up being accused of the crime. But the reality of what happened is much worse. As an Audible member, you can choose one title a month to keep from their entire catalog. New members can try Audible free for 30 days. Visit audible.com slash GWP or text GWP to 500-500. That's audible.com slash GWP or text GWP to How you doing tonight, Aaron? Doing good, Justin. Glad to be on talking with you. We have a lot of meetups happening in 2024. Our meetups are on February 11th in Denver, Colorado. February 22nd is in San Jose, California. And February 24th is in Los Angeles, California. We're going to be at CrimeCon Nashville, May 31st to June 2nd. And we're going to be at CrimeCon UK. September 21st and September 22nd. Use code GENY. And if you want more information, go out to our website, genypod.com. We're uh, covering a case I've never heard of tonight, Aaron. Reading about it this week and everything, I know we get a lot of comments from people when we talk about cases about was it suicide, was it homicide, or did this guy really do it? And people will write and be like, you know, it's so obvious he did it. Get over it. And this is one of those cases where I think it's so obvious. But when you do go through all the evidence, no one saw him do it. With that, what are we talking about tonight? Tonight, we're talking about the November 10th, 2018 death of Amy Mullis in Earlville, Iowa. That's where this takes place. And let's go back. I mean, Amy began life as Amy Fuller. She was the daughter of Robert and Peggy Fuller. She was born January 23rd, 1979, and raised in Eldora, Iowa. 
She graduated from the Kirkwood Community College and she became a registered nurse. Amy met Todd Mullis at the Delaware County Fair in 2003. They dated for about a year and then they wed on September 11, 2004. Now, Todd was a farmer, he operated multiple farms, and Amy worked as an emergency room nurse. And they ended up having three kids, Tristan, Taylor, and Wyatt. So they're living on this big farm. The home farm actually was, they say, about two football field lengths in size. It included hog barns, silos. There was a shed, very large multi-stall shop, and of course their home. And they say things were going well for about nine years. But in 2013, Amy began an affair with someone at work. And once Todd found out about it, they had to figure out what to do next. Now, this led to trying to work through their differences and going to counseling. And Amy, as her part of trying to get this marriage put back together, she left her job as a nurse and worked on the farm with Todd. So that way he knows where she's at and they're spending more time together. Let's go to the date in question here because obviously they went through a rough patch. And there's about a five-year stretch of time between when Amy decides to go and work at the farm and when this tragedy occurs. So it's that morning, Tristan, their 13-year-old son, and Todd left to tend to the hogs. And when they returned, Amy joined them in preparing one of the barns for the hogs' arrivals, you know, just basic farming stuff here. The two younger children remained in the home that morning. Amy was cleaning light fixtures. She was standing up on a bucket so she could reach up there. And apparently she seemed dizzy or unsteady, according to Tristan. And Tristan and Todd asked her, are you okay? Do you want us to do this for you? And she said she was fine. I think it had a lot to do with the fact that she's on a bucket. But there's also, she had actually gone through an outpatient procedure four days prior, and she was still recovering from that. So maybe you still have some of those sedative drugs in your system and you're up on a bucket. You know, maybe she's a little unsteady on her feet. I get it. And when it appeared that she was having difficulty, Todd asked if she could instead retrieve a pet carrier from the red shed, which was about 30 yards away and leave it in the yard or on the front of the shop. He wanted to place kittens in the carrier to protect them from the large farm equipment he intended to use later that day. So, Amy left to go get the pet carrier. Everyone else resumed their cleaning and their chores, and Todd noticed that the pet carrier was not where he had asked Amy to put it. So, he instructed Tristan to go over to the shed to get the pet carrier and check on his mom. When Tristan entered the red shed, he found his mother on her hands and knees with a corn rake protruding from her back. A corn rake is essentially a four-pronged pitchfork. When you hear torches and pitchforks, this is what this thing looks like. Tristan obviously is going to yell for his dad. He's checking his mom, seeing if she's breathing. Amy is completely unresponsive and Todd runs over to the shed. He instructs his son to get the truck and bring it over to the shed. 
Tristan returned with the truck, saw Todd remove the rake from his mom's back, pull this thing out. Tristan gets in the truck and they essentially get Amy into the truck. Tristan's holding his mother on his lap while she's bleeding out. Todd drives the truck. They're going to the nearest hospital, which is approximately a 20-minute drive. And that's to Manchester, Iowa. On the way, Todd calls 911 and tells the operator what's going on. In this call, Todd sounds shocked and panicked and describes how he found his wife, what it looked like, that kind of thing. And he reported that when he checked Amy, she did not have a pulse and he didn't know how this could have occurred. He stated that maybe she had tripped. And at some time during the call, he tells the operator, she fell on a fork. I had to pull a goddamn fork out of her. That's what he's calling this corn rake. And of course, during the call, he's calling out to Amy and asking his son if she's responding. And his son is saying she's not responding. So, of course, the operator is going to ask, do you know how to perform CPR? Because we need you to do this. And he said, I can try. I'll try anything. So he pulls the truck over to the side of the road. And according to him, he has to lay Amy flat in the truck so he can try doing CPR. And he's heard saying, come on, respond. She's cold. So there's a deputy that arrives, Luke Thompson. And Thompson is asking what happened and actually starts performing CPR on Amy himself. And then an ambulance arrives later, and they rush Amy to the regional medical center, where she had once worked as an ER nurse. People who knew the family had arrived at the scene as well. One person took Tristan back home while Todd went with another to the hospital to wait to see what happens with Amy. And unfortunately... She is pronounced dead at the hospital. So the doctor that examines her, Dr. Craig Thompson, he's told that Amy's death is an accident, but he's examining her and he sees scrapes on Amy's hands, knees, ears, and face, and he finds six puncture wounds in Amy's back. Now, we can all do math. A four-pronged rake won't create six holes in you in your back anyway. So, of course, this doesn't make sense to Dr. Thompson, so he wants a full autopsy performed by the state forensic pathologist, who is Dr. Kelly Cruz. Right there, a lot of people, we've made up our minds. You don't fall on this pitchfork twice. And she was found kind of hunched over face down with this in her back. I would think if this was an accident, she would have been laying on her side or something else, not this way. And obviously, medical staff are looking at this and going, she's been murdered. This was intentional. The pathologist finds that there's no debris in the wound on her chin. And of course, she's thinking if she had hit the dirt or something, that there should be some sort of debris in the wound but it's clean. And when she's looking at the puncture wounds, she's finding that the wounds are in two different directions, meaning this rake had impaled Amy at least twice, if not three times, according to this pathologist. She said that the impalement was so severe that Amy's breast implant was ruptured. 
and that there was an exit wound on the front side of her torso. So after she's looking at all of this, Dr. Cruz has no hesitation in ruling this death a homicide. And she thinks that a lot of these scrapes and other injuries are defensive wounds. Absolutely. So law enforcement is obviously going to be contacted. They're going to start an investigation. They're going to get a search warrant for the property. And they're going to go in and start confiscating all electronics, including surveillance video from two cameras placed on the farm and Todd's iPad. Now, they get this surveillance video because he has security cameras, but apparently there's no video for like what one or two weeks leading up to this incident and the day of the incident. There's nothing. Yeah, the next video they can find is the day after the incident, November 11th. But there's a search history they find on Todd's iPad. What are some of the phrases they found? Killing unfaithful women? Did ancient cultures kill adulterers? What to do with opened chest wounds? And thrill of the hunt? This is just what I search for every day, Aaron. I mean, this is just normal stuff, right? Is it now? (laughs) So already you can tell if you're a detective and you're being told by the state pathologist that there's been a homicide and now as part of the investigation, they're finding a strange search history from the husband of the victim. Well, now you know they're onto something. You have to know they're on the right path here. This is what any good detective would do, but they're not done yet. So they're looking into the lives of both Amy and Todd, and they soon discover that Amy had begun an affair back in 2013 and then had recently started another affair in May or June of 2018 with no one other than the farm's hog operation manager, Jerry Frazier. There's a lot of text messages and communications between the two. That's not a good sign. But when in July of 2018, when Todd discovered about 100 messages between Amy and Jerry from a phone bill, he questioned Jerry. Jerry assured him that nothing was going on. It was strictly business because Jerry worked on the farm, managed the farm, and they were talking about that and their children. This did not appease Todd. So he will end up actually speaking with Jerry's wife. And asking her, like, what do you think is going on? And she will tell Todd that their marriage was a happy one and she did not believe that Jerry was cheating with Amy and everything was fine. So Todd will end up calling a few days later and apologizing to Jerry and his wife, saying, I'm sorry I brought this up, you know. But Todd's spidey sense was right. Because apparently, Amy and Jerry had been meeting up. They would go in Jerry's car, meet up at hotels. They were having an affair. Well, we don't really know that Todd believed that Jerry and Amy weren't a thing. We don't really know that. Just because he calls the Fraser home and apologizes to Jerry and his wife doesn't mean that he believes nothing is happening because it's just months later that Amy is dead. 
So I would say this could be he put a plan in his head and decided, I'm just going to make it look like everything's hunky-dory, but Amy's going to go bye-bye. Right? That's possible. As far as we know from Amy, and this is because police were interviewing people, Amy had talked to some of her friends and said, I'm not happy. My marriage is not happy. And I like Jerry, but Jerry, he's not ready to leave his wife because even though he likes Amy a lot, he still likes his wife and he doesn't necessarily want to go through a divorce. So he liked the way things were, but Amy, according to her friends, was thinking about leaving Todd regardless of what Jerry would decide. But she was afraid of her husband, Todd. She was telling her friends that he would kill her if he knew. And she even provided information on where to look for her on the farm if she were to ever go missing. I'm looking at this thinking, is she making stuff up or is this threats that Todd has given her that she's just relaying on to other people? It sounds pretty valid to me. Well, her friends were concerned about her because you know how it is around small towns. If there's a rumor of an affair, it's not held between just a few people. People begin talking and it spreads. And so Amy had told one of her friends that she was going to tell Todd there were rumors about an affair, but she was hoping by doing that, that he would get it in his head that it's just a rumor. She's using the word rumor with the affair. He's going to think, oh, those just rumors. But of course, like I said, we don't really know. We can just suspect that Todd probably knew what was going on because it's not like she and Jerry were exchanging all these messages before. It started up at some point, and then there were a lot of messages. So detectives are thinking Todd and Jerry are suspects, right? Because Jerry's not ready to leave his wife, but it seemed like Amy really liked him. So maybe Jerry got rid of Amy so that there wasn't pressure on his marriage, or perhaps Todd got rid of Amy because this was now strike number two and he wasn't looking for a third. Yeah, but Jerry says that uh, he was at home that day. He lives like over 40 minutes, 45 minutes away, and he was with his son watching college football. His son is giving him a alibi, and his phone is pinging off cell towers in that area. This is an Anamosa. Yeah. So Jerry's kind of clear here because he's saying, I was 45 minutes away with my son and you're tracking my phone. So I didn't do this. I didn't sneak onto their property and kill Amy. But Todd's story is similar in a sense. He's saying, I was out there doing work on the farm and their son Tristan saying, I was with my dad all morning. Nothing happened here. I saw him every second and he was with me. We were cleaning up the barn. So both of these men have alibis from their sons, which is interesting just to look at. Take a moment to get a word from our sponsor, Simply Safe. Did you know that according to FBI property crime data, most home break-ins happen in broad daylight? As the day goes longer this spring, protect your home with Simply Safe. It's the award-winning home security system I use and recommend. Both experts and customers love Simply Safe for its comprehensive protection. It was just named Best Home Security System of 2024 
by U.S. News and World Report. Its advanced technology protects every home, window, and door, while cameras keep watch for suspicious activities 24-7. There's no long-term contract. You'll get the emergency response you need at half the cost of traditional home security at less than a dollar a day. You install the system your way. It's easy to do it yourself. I did mine. It was about 20, 25 minutes from start to finish. But if you're not comfortable with that, you can have the professionals do it. Protect your home today. Generation Y listeners get a special 20% off any new Simply Safe system when you sign up for fast protect monitoring. Just visit simplysafe.com/geny. That's simplysafe.com/geny. There's no safe like Simply Safe. Take a moment to get a word from our sponsor DoorDash. If you're looking to get more from delivery, you can get it with Dash Pass by DoorDash. Plus, you can get 50% off up to a $10 value when you spend $12 or more after signing up for Dash Pass. Dash Pass is only $9.99 a month. You get special access to exclusive promotions, member-only menu items, and with Dash Pass, you get $0 delivery fees and lower service fees on eligible orders. I use it all the time. Sometimes I just can't leave the house. I have too much going on. I got to edit and uh, I'll get my food delivered today. Open the door to $0 delivery fees and more. Sign up for Dash Pass today. Only on DoorDash. That's 50% off up to a $10 value when you spend $12 or more after signing up for Dash Pass. Use code GENY24. That code again, GENY24. Subject to change, terms apply. February 28, 2019. This was about three months after Amy's death. Detectives arrested Todd Mullis. And his bond was set at $5 million. So you know they're taking him to trial. They found their guy. They've cleared Jerry. Todd isn't cleared. I think one of the factors here is they don't know that they can trust Tristan because his father could have said, look, you were with me every minute. You understand? (laughs) We know how this goes. And on top of that, Tristan just lost his mother. He probably can't fathom his father murdering his mother or he doesn't want to lose his father too. 100%. That's something that happens quite often is children. They're adrift alone if they don't have either one of their parents. And we've seen some nasty cases where both parents are gone, one through murder and one through imprisonment. Well, seven months later, September 16, 2019, jury selection began in the nearby town of Dubuque. And this is because of concerns of publicity. So they needed to take this trial to another town because obviously where they're at, everyone knows the story. The trial lasted six days. And there was a lot of testimony. The medical examiner, the forensic pathologist, there was Jerry Frazier, there was law enforcement, Amy's family and friends. And of course, they're all saying that Amy was fearful of Todd. In fact, they had nicknamed Amy, Amy Pot, Amy Prisoner of Todd. And this is where you get a lot of testimony and statements talking about her friends saying, Todd monitored her every movement. Todd controlled everything in her life. You know, Todd was telling her exactly what to do. And because of her previous infidelity, he never really trusted her ever again. And he was punishing her. And according to them, Amy made comments talking about how she feared that Todd would kill her one day and then throw her to the pigs. Now, Everybody wanted to hear from Tristan because at this point he's 14. He was the only other person in the area where Amy was other than Todd. And so this was really important. 
Tristan originally said he was with his dad all morning, never leaving his sight, just like you described. But then in a following interview, he stated that he had gone to the office in the front of the barn to get a drink of water several times, and he stated he was gone for minutes each time. So during the trial, everybody was waiting to hear what he would say. Tristan changed his story once again. His testimony came via closed circuit TV, and he was saying now that he couldn't be certain how long he was gone, meaning it might have been for longer stretches of time than just one to two minutes. So that's plenty of time. Even one trip to get some water would be enough time if everyone's in semi-close proximity. So if this was indeed a murder, as the prosecution says it was, Todd had enough time, just like you said, and then he could send his son in to discover his mother, and that way he sets up an alibi. Hey, we were together, and I asked you to check on Amy, and then you found her. Oh, no. And of course, there's that whole stretch of time where he's attempting CPR, trying to get her to the hospital. But as we know, the forensic pathologist had damning testimony regarding the six puncture wounds and the defensive injuries. This leads up to her saying that this was a homicide, not an accident. How do they use this search history against him in court? They're going to show that he was planning this. They're going to show that he had anger towards her, like, oh, she was cheating on me. What do they do with adulterers? And that's motive, essentially. They're going to talk about how Todd was looking into her having an affair with Jerry again. And now he's doing these searches. This all links up. Todd, of course, is going to say, I didn't do those searches. And everybody has access to the iPad and the computers in the house. They also say that Todd forced Amy to leave her job at the hospital because he was so possessive. He didn't want her out of his sight. And of course, I believe Amy left her job because she wanted to try and make things work. But her friends, no, they're saying that she felt like she had no choice. She felt like this was the only way to appease Todd and keep herself safe. The defense, they're going with... We don't even know if this was murder. This could have been an accident. But if it was murder, Todd couldn't have done it. They said he didn't have enough time to commit the murder. And everyone had access to the iPad to do those searches. They say that Tristan had testified that Todd didn't have any blood on him or his clothing. There was only a few drops of blood on the ground in the shed. They're saying if there had been this whole fight, there should have been blood all over the place. Then they say, well, if you truly believe this is murder, then Jerry could have murdered Amy and left his phone at home knowing that he wouldn't be traced. Jerry could have come all the way over, snuck into the red shed and killed her with the pitchfork and then took off. Now, before we get to the verdict, when you think about how the defense was trying to defend Todd. Do you feel like they did enough or does this feel like a standard defense that you would expect in such a case? They were pointing out that there wasn't any physical evidence tying Todd to the crime and the lack of video footage, a lot of things they were trying to use in the defense. But I think that you know, if you punch somebody, fight with somebody, and then take a corn rake 
and stab them with it, you might not leave a lot of evidence. But the defense does have a point. They're saying there's no evidence linking this guy here. And Tristan was with him. He didn't notice any change in his behavior or any blood on his clothing. The way I look at it is we can look at the alibis provided by the sons for both Jerry and for Todd. Jerry's son does not waver. They're actually watching college football games in Anamosa together. When it comes to Tristan and Todd, Tristan's story had changed a couple of times. And by the final time that he's giving testimony, giving statements, he's saying, I was gone at times and I don't know for how long. He wasn't watching a clock. So for me, there's no way to go with this when you have two good suspects. You have Todd and Jerry. You have to follow your leads. And so I believe law enforcement did a great job here following down those leads and going the one path that remained open, which is the one with Todd. When you talk about opportunity, you talk about how close he was to the victim and the motive that he had, and then the lack of a real alibi. I think this is where, despite not having all the I's and T's crossed, they have enough of a case to take to a jury here. And so I feel like this was a well put together case and the prosecution was able to keep it tight and keep the focus on Todd for the jury. And they're questioning a lot of Todd's actions from the day. They're questioning Todd about why he didn't call 911 immediately. They're questioning him like, why did you put your wife in your truck and drive her yourself? They're questioning how this could have happened. Why were the security cameras? off for a week or two before the murder. And Todd actually does take the stand, Aaron, and gives explanations to these things. I'll go through the security cameras. He claims that the cats would jump up where the camera was because when it's cold out, there was like a transformer, some sort of thing up there where the cats would go to warm up. And they must have knocked the antenna off of this camera. And then the next day when he's going to look at the footage, that's when he notices that and he puts the antenna back up. So we have no footage up until the day. And then we have footage starting the day after. So cats messed with the cameras. Now, as far as not calling 911 immediately and putting Amy in his truck, I would have done this too, Aaron. Like I I actually believe him if this was an accident, if he was just responding to this situation, when you live out in the country, it's going to be faster for you to put somebody in your own vehicle and drive them to the hospital than it is for an ambulance to come to you. It's just going to be faster. He's responding to a high stress incident. He's saying, I didn't think to call 911. I'm just trying to get her help. And then he calls 911 from the road. And honestly, Aaron, I don't think the 911 dispatcher should have told him to pull over and start CPR. I think she should have just been like, we'll get you a police escort and get you to the hospital faster because one, that would have gotten her help faster. Two, now he's stopped somewhere along the road. First, a police officer shows up and does CPR and then an ambulance shows up. Like They just slowed down this whole process. Also, doing CPR on somebody that has huge puncture wounds, I don't know if that's a good idea either, but I understand the dispatcher's just thinking, well, if she's not responsive, she's not breathing, we have to get the circulation going. 
but I think that actually made the situation worse. So I do believe Todd, if we take this whole scenario as an accident or somebody else did it, I do understand his reasoning or his responses while he's on the stand saying, I just put her in the truck to try to get her to the hospital faster. I believe that. I believe that part, but I don't believe the cat's part. I don't believe that he repairs it and it starts working the next day. No, I don't believe the cat thing at all. Because he can't say, oh, I fixed it the next day after my wife is dead. Who's going to go fix the whole camera system the day after they lose their wife? Especially if it's an accident. That wouldn't even be on your radar, I don't think. And there's something else. The jury got to see Todd on the stand talking and giving these explanations. And um, I don't want to give anything away, but we always say that you probably shouldn't testify. You probably shouldn't take the stand in your own defense. And uh, this is just another example of that. Yeah, there's something about someone's ego that says, if I go up there and talk, they'll understand my side of things. And we've all seen it. We know people who have said, just let me talk. I'll get this all straightened out. And even before they do, you can say, as soon as you open your mouth, you're going to be destroying your own case. I think that's what you're hinting at, right? Yeah. And whether or not he's believable is one thing. A lot of the jurors felt that he came off cold and unemotional, which I don't know if that's fair because I don't know how I or anyone would look on the stand giving testimony about the day that your wife dies. You might be shut down emotionally. You might not show a lot of emotion because you're just trying to hold it together. A flat affect, right? Yeah. I was a little disappointed in hearing some of the jurors say he came off cold. I would rather hear them say, he wasn't believable. I don't believe that the cats are up on the roof messing with the uh, antenna. I'd rather people weigh the evidence and not just say, oh, I saw the murder in his eyes. Well, you do have to understand if you're taking the stand and you're the person at the center of the trial, how you come off is everything. You're literally defending yourself against prison because if they don't believe you, if they think you're cold, they think you didn't care about your wife or that you were angry with her, then you're going to prison and your best efforts have failed. And this is why I say people get up and they think they can talk their way out of things. They don't see what everyone else sees. They're not impressed. You in your own mind think, oh, I'm doing great up here. I'm killing it. I'm being very reasonable. They don't see that. September 23rd, 2019, the jury found Todd Mullis guilty of first-degree murder. Now, his sentencing was delayed because of COVID-19. How many times are we going to say that over the next 10 years? Now, Todd, of course, he feels like this was not a good trial. He files a motion for a new one, and that's denied. September 3rd, 2020, Todd was sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole and ordered to pay $150,000 in victim restitution. And Amy's family, the Fuller family, follows it up in December of 2020 by filing a wrongful death lawsuit against Todd. I feel like when it comes down to it, this was, in the end, a simple case of jealousy and murder by a husband, which is probably what causes a lot of these spousal homicides. 
I was really surprised to see a lot of people arguing for his innocence, saying that he was railroaded. I was surprised to read those comments, but I read them all. And this is kind of like the staircase. This is kind of like some other cases where you don't have fingerprints on the murder weapon. You don't have blood on the assailant. You don't have a lot of key pieces of evidence that people look for tying the person directly to the crime. And therefore, you have benefit of the doubt. You didn't have Tristan seeing his father do this. You didn't have anything directly tying him to it. But the only way this works is if this was an accident. As soon as this turns from accident to homicide, it's Todd. And you have to prove it. And I think they did a fairly good job proving it. And there is a lot of circumstantial evidence here. Todd would have to be one of the most unlucky men on the planet for his cats to knock out the antenna, for somebody to happen to make searches for adulterers and how to kill people and open wounds. I mean, there's so much here. And then he did have motive, he did have opportunity, and Tristan wasn't around him all morning. What else are you supposed to consider here? Well, there is something more to consider, and, and you've talked about it a bit, but after this all goes south for Todd, his family hires a new legal team. And attorney Dina Neshwat Raley released information in April of 2023 regarding his case. And what she did was she filed a post-conviction release request. She seems to think that Dr. Cruz was too green and made errors because she had only been on the job for four months at that time. According to this new legal team, they say that Amy fell onto the rake and during a struggle of trying to get out of the shed and or remove the rake, she ended up puncturing herself two more times. Now, what's interesting here is she's trying to say that the reason there are six holes in Amy, four in the jacket, is because Amy was trying to remove the rake and it stayed inside the jacket but repunctured her back when she was falling around inside that small space. Take a moment to get a word from our sponsor, Factor. Start your new year and resolutions with Factor. Factor's ready-to-eat meals delivery takes the stress out of meal planning and sets you up for success for the new year. Skip the grocery store, prep work, cooking fatigue. Instead, get chef-crafted, dietitian-approved meals delivered right to your door with over 35 meals to choose from per week, including keto, calorie smart, vegan, veggie, and more. Over 55 weekly add-ons, and you'll have a ton of nutritious and flavorful options to kickstart your resolutions. I know I'm pretty lazy. I don't like cooking. I don't like meal prepping. I don't even like waiting on my food. So Factor is perfect for me. I love all of their veggie options, especially if I'm looking for something a little bit more lighter. I just had their vegetarian tamale bowl. It was amazing. Head to factormeals.com slash geny50 and use code geny50 to get 50% off. That code geny50 at factormeals.com slash geny50 to get 50% off. Now, I don't know about you, Justin, but when I hear this stuff, I think, why couldn't Todd have just pulled on the rake and pushed it back in because Amy was struggling? So why couldn't he have done the same thing? This legal team doesn't seem to consider that, but see, it's not surprising to me that this was denied. Yeah. It's an explanation. Yes, it's possible. But an owl attacking somebody on a stairwell is possible, but is it plausible? 
And that's the problem with this scenario they're putting forth. An owl attacks somebody. Yes, it's possible. She pulled the rake out and then it punctured her again. This is, again, between Todd's behaviors, his actions, and then me believing cats took out the antenna and somebody else did searches for adulterers and her friends are just saying bad things to make Todd look bad. And then I have to believe that she fell on this pitchfork and then started to get off and fell on it again. That's just too much to overcome for me. So the denial came from the medical examiner's office. The courts haven't really ruled on the latest movements of this new legal team, but I personally don't believe anything's going to change here because what works as an accident also works as a murder. And I just don't understand how she's struggling with the rake. It's a lot easier for me to believe that someone's holding that rake, not her trying to reach behind herself to grab at it. I get their theory, their idea, their hypothesis, if you will, but it's not believable to me. And this is absolutely one of those cases where if we even suggest that it was an accident, we would have people writing in and saying, no, man, this is just very straightforward. And I 100% agree. I think this is very straightforward. I'm surprised to see so much support for Todd. Yeah, there's a change.org petition for him saying that it's just an alleged crime that didn't happen. But if you think about this corn rake going all the way through Amy's body, how is she reaching back and pulling on it? It punctured her left breast implant from the back. Think about that. And then the position of her body when they found her was hunched over with the pitchfork out of her back. If she's fallen on it and she's trying to remove it, I don't think she's going to stand up and do that. I don't think she's going to be like, oh, it went in further. Now I'm going to stand up and fall forward. Like that's just, no. You're going to try not to move as much. You're going to be on the ground struggling with prongs in your back. It's just unbelievable to me. Well, there's always someone to defend the guilty, I would say. But again, this is, like I said, I believe it's a very simple case in the end. And it's just too bad that these kids are without their mother and now their father. And um, I believe at the center of this case, is a problem that continues to this day, which is there are people who believe that they essentially own another person, that they own their spouse, and how dare they do anything against them. I still believe people are independent. And if Amy was deciding that she needed to leave Todd to be happy because of his controlling nature, then in the right world, he would have had a conversation with her and then once he understood that things weren't working out, he should have found some way to amicably split with her. But we know in this world, that's not how things work. And so we always go back to the baser nature and turn to murder, it seems.
Hey, Prime members, you can listen to the Generation Y podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today. Or you can listen ad-free with Wondery Plus in Apple Podcasts. Before you go, tell us about yourself by completing a short survey at wondery.com survey. Hey, grown-ups! The Cat in the Hat cast is a new podcast from Wondery, perfect for the whole family. Join the Cat in the Hat and your favorite Dr. Seuss characters as they get whisked away on a new adventure every week. Fish dreams of creating his very own polite and quiet podcast. That is, until he gets a surprise visit to his fishbowl podcast studio from the Cat in the Hat himself. And it becomes very clear that the cat has other plans for the podcast. And those plans are the opposite of quiet. Sing along to new favorite songs, try your luck at Titanic tongue twisters, have some fun with wondrous wordplay, and most importantly, bring your family along for all of the adventures in the Cat in the Hat cast. Follow the Cat in the Hat cast on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to the Cat in the Hat cast early and ad-free on Wondery Plus. Join Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Wondery Kids Plus on Apple Podcasts today.